Coming to you live from Wuhan, China, introducing to you the co-host of Aboutcast, standing at six foot redacted, coming from China, Julian. How's it going, brother? I'm doing good, man. Uh, trying a little bit something different on this recording and getting comfortable, but I feel it's only appropriate that I... Uh, <clears throat> give you a good wrestler intro here as well so give me one sec and all right here it comes <clears throat> coming down the lane standing an obscene eight feet tall with a little super saiyan energy fueled by social distancing jordan chocolate thunder honored absolutely honored man um I've I've always uh, I've always wanted to be eight foot tall, and now I finally am. <laughs> Feels good. Feels good to be one of the big dogs. Yeah, it's good to be back on the cast and chatting it up. And as you can tell, uh, we are isolating on our ends as well. We hope everyone out there is safe and keeping their space uh, amidst this COVID nineteen epidemic. Yeah, and. We figured, you know, we haven't been on for a little bit, which we, you know, I apologize a lot. Just life going on. Um, and some of that life has to do with this pandemic that we're going through. And so we thought that this would be an excellent time and opportunity to talk to you guys a little bit about kind of the science behind it. Um, and also our our thoughts and our ideas of how it's going to be like in the future. Yeah. And the cool thing about this is Jordan's obviously... Uh, in Europe, as I am in the United States of America, which have had two very different responses to uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, um, different proximities to China or Italy, um, and just how media is portrayed in each country. So there's a lot of difference happening. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, the heart of the topic is the same. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of going to be an interesting perspective shift between the two environments of, you know, the United States and how it handles it, specifically in the case of uh, Pacific Northwest, um, being that Washington and Seattle has been hit pretty hard. And then um, how London's actually been hit quite hard as well, relative to other places around the world. So without further ado, um, I think this would be a perfect time to just jump into it. So, um, coronavirus, as you probably heard it called, or COVID-19, is um, actually, so you might be, you might have seen things go on, and just to kind of disprove a rumor, um, this case of coronavirus is new, but coronavirus has been a thing before, and it kind of is a name to describe what this virus looks like, with a kind of a virus with a crown on its head and so that's why it's called the coronavirus or crown virus and with the the virus we're currently dealing with from the research that they've found um in this short time frame since it's become an epidemic is that essentially for COVID 19 there's two strains right you have more of a novel and moderate strain um that is severe like flu-like symptoms you see some people relate it to and then you have a very aggressive strain that affects people of all ages um, regardless of the statistics of the proportion of the elderly that have a higher mortality rate those who are still younger and somewhat healthy can still be 
fairly affected by this more severe strain. Um, and that was one of the things I thought was super interesting between media and the U.S. is how there hasn't been clear-cut information on how coronavirus has been affecting different ages. Exactly. I mean, so far we've heard the the story of, you know, this is quite deadly to people 70 and over or people with, um, you know, compromised immune systems who have compromised health in general. So that's why we see, you know, old people of old age, smokers and, um, you know, things of that nature be kind of the, the big worry as far as coronavirus goes. But this thing also, you know, it isn't it isn't like, you know, people that are young um, are totally immune. Um, it just means that your body might fight it off a little bit better and have like a quicker immune response. But, um, you know, everybody is quite at risk um, in this natural climate. And that's why we're seeing such a serious uh, response from different countries and different governments as far as tackling the mitigation of damage of COVID-19. Exactly. And those predisposed health conditions obviously factor into your mortality rate. And so when you hear a, a global mortality rate of around 3%, which is actually equivalent or a little bit lower than the Spanish flu in 1920, oddly 100 years ago, uh, those numbers are going to be disproportionate to obviously the elderly being more predisposed to health conditions, as Jordan said, a weaker immune system. However, in a lot of these cases, a lot of the people in the hospitals around the world that have been more severely affected once they get to the hospital has been younger people. Um, and that could be for a variety of things because a lot of young people can be asymptomatic, which necessarily means they aren't directly showing those signs right away. And that's kind of the, the purpose of social distancing and isolating is for those who are asymptomatic who may have it and have no clue from passing it on to someone whose immune system may have a severe response um, as opposed to the person who passed it on. That's a really good point. And that's kind of the thing that makes me the most nervous about this is that um, I could totally have it and I could be contagious as far as giving this disease to other people. And I may not even know it. So that's something to think about definitely when you kind of hear how these things are being um, handled. And that's why it's important for everybody to quarantine themselves, not just the elderly, um, being that they are more at risk. Um, and also, you got to realize how this thing is transmitted as well. Um, COVID-19 um, is in aerosols or airborne. And there's actually certain times of it being able to be um, caught and contagious. So as far as aerosols, there's a study at UCLA that was actually produced yesterday that said in aerosols, COVID-19 could last in the air for about three, three to two hours. And then on copper, it's up to four hours. And then when you're looking at surfaces like cardboard, it can be up to 24 hours. And then when you get to other surfaces, which unfortunately there's a lot of like plastics and stainless steels, we're talking to two to three days. So, um, this disease can last and be transmitted in certain ways. But I think the main thing to think about is that not only is it important that you don't touch anything, but to be honest, if you're stuck in a place with somebody that is contagious, um, and you're in close, close crops, blah, blah, Blah. Plo close 
proximity to them. So let's say an elevator. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to talk. Um, you know, the chances of getting it through airborne, even if you don't touch anything, is still a definite possibility. That's one of the things that's been tough as, you know, an individual is worldwide, the information being put out about coronavirus has been very reactive as opposed to proactive. So we're getting these new reports, you know, during these times, but for a while people thought it was just droplet based. So like getting it on your hands or in touching your face and going into your digestive system. And for a while they're pushing hospitals and telling them you don't necessarily need these N95 masks that filter out the respiratory conditions of this virus. However, as time goes on, you get more data, unfortunately, um, which is a blessing and a curse, right? You get more data from more people being infected. You can make more honest decisions, but it means more people are likely to have the virus or, you know, pass on from the virus. And so up until now, this is where that big struggle has been. And then you get to that point where it's, you know, is this really what's going on? Am I knowing all the truth? What don't I know? Um, and I think that's been kind of the very fascinating thing from my perspective is just hearing, you know, I listen to all of the the United States press conferences, even though I don't necessarily agree with the administration. It is a tough spot to be in because this has never happened before on this scale, right? Um, so I like to hear from them directly from the source before, you know, sources pick and choose the lines that they want to put into their headlines to better understand where it's coming from. And it's kind of where the world has come to in terms of sharing socially, that sometimes the whole picture isn't out there. Of course not. And I think that um, different countries are going to have different ways of of reacting to this. As we've seen, um, there's been different responses. So um, just to highlight that in itself, I think it's noteworthy. You have countries that handled it quite seriously and are doing really well so for instance i definitely would like to shout out countries like um japan um south korea and um other places and i know this is particularly around a certain region of the world and the reason why i think that they are doing such an outstanding job granted korea did have more cases than japan but the reason why is because they had a super spreader that affected a ton of people Um, they got hit really bad by SARS, which is, um, something that you can kind of say is similar to coronavirus in the way that it, uh, attacks the immune system as far as being a respiratory disease. And, um, but the thing that they did was they totally took it extremely serious, um, from their experience with SARS and they have some of the lowest amounts of cases. So particularly in Japan, I'm looking at the numbers and they have 1,046 cases as of today. And it looks like 36 deaths and one was today. And I think that that is, um, you know, one of the lower marks as far as uh, death counts and even today itself. Um, and this is obviously as a recording of um, March 21st, uh, Italy, which is just it's insane to think about, but has had 793 new deaths. Incredible. And obviously that's off of 53,578 infected. Right. And it's, I mean, it's a tough thing when you look at statistics too, um, from what we've seen so far and how different countries have handled it is that 
your population demographics are going to be vastly different as Italy is one of the third oldest countries in terms of population age. And obviously the coronavirus has been more prominent in those weakened immune systems as opposed to some other areas. But as Jordan alluded to, how serious certain countries take it have helped out dramatically. As you look at the U.S. is still trying to function to figure out what to do, where you still have hundreds of people going to Florida for spring break that are all in that younger demographic that may be asymptomatic and are traveling long distances to get there. Or you look at you know people who are <clears throat> not taking it so seriously in Mexico or South America um, or haven't even began large-scale testing. Um, it there's a lot of unknown there and it's very interesting to see, you know, it's pretty obviously obvious from, you know, my point of view that this is something that's very serious and should be taken seriously. But there's still some people who are like discounted by saying more people die from the flu each year or more people die from car accidents when it's not closely related in any regards. And another thing that I would like to point out too is um, I think some cr- countries are going to be more prone to taking it seriously than others, um, just off the nature of some things. So I've done a lot of research on Mexico, and I think that one of the reasons why they haven't taken it seriously, one is because um, you got to think like when we know that someone's infected, it's due to a test that we've taken or they have taken. So when you think about the number of cases that Mexico has tested for, the last time I looked it up from... I believe the Mexican health administration said that they've tested under a thousand people. And so that's a extreme, extreme, extreme low amount. And you got to also think one of their main economic drivers is tourism and hospitality. So being that they don't want to um, fall into this recession that um, other countries have fallen into as far as the U S um, and others, they would have to keep their borders open. But it looks like just recently they've closed their borders or the U.S. has closed their borders. And also you got to think it's kind of a tinderbox in there. They just had, as of two weeks ago, they had a 70,000 person concert, um, which was the Guns N' Roses concert, if I'm remembering correctly. They've had professional sports games still being played. And also they have the kind of one of the worst um, hospital bed statistics as far as um, hospital beds per capita that we've seen. Um, you know, so I think that they're going to get hit really, really hard and they might not know it until late, which is going to be tragic. Um, and you know, that saying, um, you know, if the U S catches a cold, Mexico gets pneumonia. And I think that this is going to be the perfect example of that, unfortunately. And Jordan, just to go a little bit further, right, we talked about the recessions or economies. From your background, what is the most interesting um, event that has occurred in terms of any economy um, during this pandemic and uh, international crisis, so to speak? Hmm, that's, that's, that's a really good question, Jillian. I think that number one, you got to think about um, just like if you were to look at the markets right now, I think that that is in itself is one of the oddest things just tracking it as far as kind of the volatility that we're seeing um, in this climate. It's just extreme. You see a lot of things happening with fear 
And, um, you know, you see great rises when, um, you know, somebody speaks, whether it's the Fed or President Trump. And you'll see great falls when they speak as well, depending on if it's good or bad news. And I think that's indicative of kind of the unknownness. I don't think unknownness is actually a word, um, but of what we're going through. And especially since, you know, nobody, I think, living right now um, has seen something that's been quite the same as this. At least, you know, people of our generation haven't. And so I'd say just normally, naturally, the market or, you know, if you want to go economics terms, we're going to be seeing stagflation here soon, which is a fancy economic term for um, increased inflation and increased unemployment rate. Uh, And so what that means is basically um, the dollar is getting devalued and people are getting laid off of work due to low economic factors as far as turn down in GDP, which we'll be seeing due to the hit in this coronavirus. And what that means is that basically in layman's terms, things aren't going to be looking too great. So regardless of the when the coronavirus ends, um, we'll be in a recession for much longer afterwards. Yeah. And I mean, that's obviously one of the impacts of the coronavirus and Essentially, you know, a lot of questions people ask are, you know, how long is this going to last? Is the spring or summer going to get rid of this? And based on all the reports I've seen, it's uh, it's a no. Uh, essentially, right, they're working on a vaccine. Vaccines take 12 to 18 months. Maybe it might be a slight bit quicker here as the entire world and different labs are working on all at once. But essentially, the, the reason why you're going to take so long for a vaccine is, you test someone, so they just tested someone in Seattle, the first person, then they're gonna monitor that person for seven days, 21 days, a month, three months, et cetera, and slowly give that vaccine to more and more people so they have accurate statistics and data and understand the side effects for once this vaccine has been introduced to the virus itself. Because yes, it may work for five days or seven days, but on the 10th day, and it's fighting, it could have a side effect where people are experiencing numbness in their limbs, they're having trouble seeing or dizziness, et cetera. Um, And to to administer that to billions of people around the world, um, you really want to make sure that that's right because you could have a much longer impact if this is wrong and you've given out to so many people. and it's that's the part of being reactive during this coronavirus is that there wasn't a vaccine before and we're making it as we go on the fly in this, you know, it's basically being thrown into an exercise for, you know, an expert when you're a very, very big beginner at that exercise. Julian, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more, too. And the fact that, um, you know, people expect a vaccine soon and I think we're going as fast as possible. That person that got tested in Seattle From my understanding, there was no animal testing before then, which is usually the case when it comes to vaccines and um, how they get produced. It's usually animal testing and human testing, then a long, long time of just tracking how that human does. And another thing that we don't want is half effective vaccines. That's probably more deadly than a vaccine itself or not having a vaccine, that is. Because when the immune system gets half of something, and this has been seen before, and I apologize for kind of my 
my lack of technical nomenclature, um, but in the specific case of this disease, but when it happens, you'll see um, diseases actually um, be more effective on immune systems that somewhat know or have ex lightly experienced it than some that have not at all. So that is going to be one of the last things that we want um, in this specific case. And then staying in that medical field, a lot of people ask about, you know, why is in some areas, Italy, certain parts of London and Europe, certain parts of the United States, you know, why are you doing these lockdowns or quarantines for X amount of time? And what is flattening the curve, right? And so obviously there's statistics and infographics that say, you know, majority of people are going to end up getting the coronavirus, whether it be severe, some may be asymptomatic and never know, some may feel it for a day or two. Essentially why you try to flatten the curve if you boil the coronavirus down to its base needs, right? If everyone in America gets it within two weeks, you have a finite amount of one resources, which I've already basically run out, two space and hospitals, three hospital workers, nurses, and doctors. So that way we're flattening, flattening the curve so that if you do get severely sick and go to the hospital, you can get the help that's needed. But if we don't flatten the curve and you have millions of people all within two weeks, getting the sickness and just sitting in a waiting room without proper treatment or being able to get understand if it's severe or non-severe, et cetera, you're going to see a much wider impact of the virus than over time, like the flu, right? If you have the flu, you could just go to your doctor. There's usually maybe one or other two people with it, and you can get that access as soon as possible. As you inflate that to you know, 200, 300 times in your local office, it's going to be a shit show. Um, and that's what flattening the curve is. Flattening the curve isn't to, you know, it's not going to kill the coronavirus. It's just going to allow you to get the help when you need it down the line. Dude, preach. Literally, this is for stopping un basically preventable deaths. And I think that that's super important. And not only with coronavirus, like you mentioned, Julian, resources. And one of the biggest resources is, um, you know, prescription drugs and also hospital beds for non-coronavirus um, ailments as far as, you know, it could be surgeries, it could be, um, you know, diabetes or any other disease where people need to be in the hospital to be treated. And it might not even be serious, it could be moderate. But if there aren't hospital beds to treat those people, then they could die as well, which is kind of like the second wave of deaths due to coronavirus, um, almost like secondhand smoke when this person can die from lung cancer due to smoke without even ever smoking. And a person can die from coronavirus without even ever having it in the sense that it's affected the situation that they're in. And another thing too, I think, you know, I don't think we've talked about the actual symptoms and I think that would be important too, as far as knowing what you're up against. And yeah, granted, we've been kind of talking a little bit scarily about this thing, but I think it's more of in the fact that we have to take it seriously and um, not in the fact that it's extremely deadly. Like Julian said, it's about 3% a little lower than that and you know that means if you out of every 100 people that gets it three percent would or three of them would die but that's of a specific substrata of that actual 
100 people. So Julian, do you can you list off the actual symptoms that somebody would get that contracted coronavirus? I mean, everyone can be different. Somebody can be asymptomatic and some people actually get different symptoms and um, than others as far as percentage goes. But can you list off those regular symptoms that someone would see if they contracted coronavirus? Yeah, I could, uh, I could lay out a couple and then also touching base on that 3% mortality rate. Like, And you have to look at that 3% as being disproportionate to elderly. Like That's how it is. And then within that 2% of males, or males are two times as likely as females. So maybe that's 3%, but maybe it's heavily pushed to above 55 and less than 1% for below 30. <laughs> and so... Um, when we look at that and we look at the symptoms, right, the first things you want to check for is, you know, right, are you running a fever? Uh, and that's why thermometers have basically been impossible to find. Like, are you running a fever? Um, do you have any sort of dry cough um, or out of normal cough from your day-to-day -day life? Are you experiencing any dizziness or nausea um, or body aches or pains not attributed to your day-to-day -day life. Um, in some cases, are you, I said, I guess I said nausea. In some cases, very, very little percent, like maybe 2%, just to touch on this for the, the toilet paper pandemic is like diarrhea, but it's a very small percentage of people um, who get that symptom. And then Jordan, I think there's a couple symptoms left that I'll leave for you to share. Yeah. And to kind of hop back onto that, if you're hoarding toilet paper, you're corny, honestly, like don't, don't do that. Cause it's, you know, it's an inner irrational decision that makes other people make irrational decisions as far as buying more things. Um, you know, probably I'll probably keep it short to that just in the fact of, um, you know, you got to look out for each other, especially when it comes to this. Instead of me, it should be a we type thinking. Um, and that's why we're actually quarantining ourselves. Because um, obviously it's not a me thing. It's a everybody else around me thing. Um, and that's how we should think about this thing. Uh, but enough off of that. But yeah, some other symptoms um, is obviously Julian mentioned a bunch um, and the main factors is kind of the, the essential dry cough. And that comes from the inflammation of your actual respiratory sy system, um, being inflamed because of those cells, um, basically dying from the coronavirus itself. Um, you'll have a headache. Julian mentioned the fever. Um, and I think that those mainly, I, I was actually impressed that you mentioned kind of the nausea and the, you know, upset stomach and things of that nature, because those are not common, but are the, you know, some of the few ones that might slip past. But on the NHS, so the UK is basically saying, if you have coronavirus symptoms, which is like you mentioned, high temperature and a new and continuous cough, then that's good enough to stay home, which I mean, that could be a lot of things. But if you do have those things, then cut it short. Don't wait for you to be squirting in your pantaloons um, <laughs> and just keep it home. Stay home and stay isolated. 
Exactly. In most of the cases, at least in the U.S. that have been tested, 90% of people who show those symptoms have a different respiratory infection. Um, so really about 10% of those tests are actual COVID-19 tests. If you are able to get a test, which is another conversation in itself in America. Um, but overall, right, the media has made it look like coronavirus. If you get it, you're toast. In reality, not really. Um, we're flattening the curve for those supplies and medical facilities. So if you are severely affected, you can go um, so that you don't pass it along to the higher proportion of mortality rate of elderly people. Um, and so everyone's trying their best to make sure that it's, you know, fairly being played, so to speak. Um, and it's easy to get lost up in all the news and think, oh, if, you know, my aunt gets coronavirus, she's a goner where realistically her odds are a lot better um, than what the media portrays it to be. Yeah, very good point. And so just to kind of recap on a few things that we talked about to, to round things out, um, we talked about the symptoms of coronavirus. Uh, we talked about how deadly it is. Um, we've talked about countries' responses to it and what countries are doing good and what countries um, are going to be slammed. And we talked about kind of your actions and certain things that you should be doing in the me versus we attitude. And we should be having a we attitude. So um, I know this was kind of light on the joking, light on the humor, because I think this is probably one of the more necessary ones of about cast uh, and providing you with um, knowledge that will help you and is entertaining. Um, and I think this one will definitely help you because ignorance is life threatening. And uh, we don't want that to get you in the way of or get in the way of your enjoyment of our podcast. So thank you, guys. Sorry for the absence. Um, Julian, do you have anything for these beautiful fans as we part? Uh, we're back. Uh, thanks for listening today. Just make sure to hydrate, get, you know, over seven hours of sleep, take vitamin C, only go to your essential places until, you know, noted um, just because you know, you may be perfectly fine, but in the long run, you could be saving someone else's life or someone else's family life. So uh, we appreciate you guys for listening and we look forward to being back to our regularly scheduled program. Thanks guys. <laughs>